He had an encounter with Jesus. Something happened. And he began to live his life for a different cause. He can even wonder if he should be involved in politics. But John Newton encouraged him that he said, maybe it's for such a time as this that you've been brought into the kingdom of God. Maybe it's for such a time that you've been brought into God's kingdom. And he spent the next 53 years of his life fighting against the institution of slavery. Next 53 years. I mean, at the beginning, it was an insurmountable cause. Everyone was against him. All the, the, the economic powers of that generation were built and surrounded by the institution of slavery. It would be like an individual today taking on the cause of abortion or taking on the cause of gay marriage. Because all of our national corporations today believe that it's okay and they support it and they believe in it. It would be like an individual saying, no, it's not right, it's not God's will, it's an evil thing. And this person would go up against Microsoft and they would go up against Apple and they would go up against Exxon and they would go up against the prevailing powers and the government of that day. It was exactly what it was like. And this man stood for the next 53 years. He gave his life for a cause. Three days before he died, slavery was completely abolished and the nation of England without a bullet ever being fired. Three days he fought for 53 days, and by the time he died, when he first started, it, was, it looked like an impossibility. By the time he died, it passed easily in the parliament. It just passed. It, it wasn't even an issue. They had already come to the realization as a nation that this was an evil thing. One man made a difference. One man fought for a cause. But what did Jesus really come to do? The first thing that I want you to see this morning is that Jesus came to pardon us from our sins. You see, this man, William Wilberforce, this man, John Newton, this man, Eugene Smith, I could go around this room. The, the people who have been sold out to Christ, who made a decision to follow Jesus, it all started with this reality that we've been pardoned from our sins. Everyone say pardon. You should have a little handout. Where's the handout, guys? You guys have a handout this morning that looks like this? All right, you can, you can fill in that little blank. That's the first word. How about that? I'll help you out this morning. Jesus went around doing good. What was the first thing that Jesus did? Jesus pardoned men from their sins. The United States government has given our president one power that's probably greater than any other power that he has. It was established by Congress in 1789. It is the power of absolute authority that our president has. Our president has the power to pardon. To pardon, to make as if something never happened, to absolve a person's wrong. After a person's been either tried or convicted, even if they haven't been tried and convicted, our president can sign an act that pardons and absolves that person from all past wrong concerning that particular issue. Completely absolve it. Congress can't stop it. The Supreme Court can't stop it. No one can stop it because the president has been given, adjudicated that power by the Constitution of the United States of America. It's a powerful word. Over the last hundred years, over 20,000 people have been pardoned. I just read a couple of years ago, a man by the name of Jim Morrison, who was the leader of a rock band called The Doors, was pardoned by our own governor, Chris Christie. But you look at the list of people who have been pardoned. Some have been absolute scoundrels. I mean, some have been really rich scoundrels. A couple of years ago, one of the presidents pardoned a man by the name of Mark Rich. 
Mark Rich had donated millions of dollars to his political campaign. Oh, there was a howl in our nation. Oh, there was a scream in our nation. When President Ford came into office replacing Richard Nixon, who had been the elected president of the United States in 1974, his first act as the United States president was to pardon a scoundrel by the name of Richard Nixon. I mean, on both sides of the aisle, presidents have used this ability to pardon people to show favors. Sometimes it's been to the rich and famous, but more often than not, it's just been to the average guy on the street. Something came across his desk. Somebody came and pleaded his cause. Someone stood and the president issued an edict. The president issued an edict. Pardon. He stamped it. It can't be reversed. It can't be reversed. When Jesus came to this planet, Jesus came to pardon men of their sins. You have in your text this morning, you have in your handout this morning, Luke chapter 19. And the story there is a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who experienced the pardon of Christ. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, as the song goes, right? You know that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Bum, bum, bum. Right? I mean, the sad thing about that little kid's song, if you've grown up in church, is that it dilutes, it takes away, it, it kind of strips the awesomeness and the power of this story. The awesomeness of this story is that Zacchaeus was a man of short statue, but that wasn't the issue. The issue that this man was a rich man and he'd made his wealth of ripping off the people who were poor in his generation. He was not a like man. In Israel's nation at that time, he was considered the lowest of the lowest. He was a scallywag. I find it interesting when you get into a political season, how rich people are vilified and how poor people are vilified. Uh, Very fascinating. Things have not changed in thousands of years. The enemy has always tried to to divide people. He tries to divide them by race. He tries to divide them by politics. He tries to divide them by economic status. You see, the enemy has a work to do, and that's to bring destruction to mankind. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, and you might have it more abundantly. Come on. Amen. Zacchaeus was... This man, but Jesus passed his way. You can look at the story in Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus was passing his way through Jericho. And this man, Zacchaeus, sees Jesus. This man, Zacchaeus, sees Jesus. And there's something in his heart. Every time we encounter Jesus in the Scriptures, every time we see people running to Him, every time we see people coming to Him, there's always a backdrop to that story. There's always something that you might not see or know. But but what was happening was that Zacchaeus had heard the reports. He'd heard about the miracles and the healings and the feeding of 5,000. You would be a dummy. You would be completely deaf. You'd be living in a cave if you didn't know that this man Jesus was doing some pretty incredible things in his generation. Jesus, what Jesus really came to do was to pardon men from his sins. You see, Jesus didn't look at a person after your exterior. He looked right into their heart. He didn't judge a person if he was rich or by the kind of clothes he wore or his station or position in life. Jesus looked at the heart of a man. And see, that's what you and I can't do today. We can't judge the motive of a heart because we don't know what's inside the individual. But Jesus does. And as Jesus was passing that way, the Bible says that Jesus called Zacchaeus to come down and to follow him. Zacchaeus, I want you, I want, I want to actually come into your house. I want to come into your home. 
Jesus invited himself into the home of Zacchaeus. Think about that. Jesus invited himself. In Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door in the heart of an individual and he knocks. He knocks at the door of that heart. He knocks at the door of the church and he wants to know, am I welcome here? Can I come in here? When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, He called him down from that tree. And the Bible says that when Jesus asked Zacchaeus, can I come to your home? Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. Of course you can come. You see, this is what I really believe. If people really knew the real Jesus, if people really were able to encounter Jesus, not in the vestiges of politics and the realities of our this human world, but if they were really to have a presentation of His grace and His love and His forgiveness and ability to transform the human heart, no one would reject Him. Why would you reject that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of sense of purpose and meaning in life? Zacchaeus welcomed Him. Jesus invited Himself to His own home. One day Jesus stood at the door of your heart and He began to knock. And He invited Himself in. He said, can I make my home here? Can I come into your life? Some of us wrestled with that. We struggled with that. We resisted that. Others just always kind of accepted and believed that. But there's something that radically happens when we really invite Jesus into our life. When you really invite Jesus into your life, you begin to see things from a different perspective. You see, encounters with the forgiveness of Jesus always lead to a changed life. Encounters of the forgiveness of Jesus always lead to a changed life. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. I don't know I could play the guitar while I was preaching. That's pretty cool. Today. Why did salvation come? Why did salvation come? Why did it come? You read verse number 8. Zacchaeus actually says, Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Look what he tells Jesus. He says, Jesus. He said, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. He sought to make restitution. He sought to make right. When a heart is truly changed, when repentance truly comes in a church person's life, It changes the way they think. It changes the way they react to other people. It changes. It doesn't mean that a person's perfect, but something in a heart now is set to live a different kind of life. Doesn't mean that they have it all figured out. Doesn't mean that they have something they have to struggle and work through, but there's something in their heart that says, Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And there was an actual practical act and deed. There was an actual practical act indeed that was a result of him allowing Jesus to come into his life. Jesus said, today you've been saved. Today you've been saved. You see, yes, it takes faith to believe. And Paul is so clear that it's not by works of righteousness because so many people try to get in by their own good works and their own good deeds, but that doesn't make you saved. It's simply by faith and believing in the pardon work of Christ on the cross when He declared that your sins were canceled, when they were finished, when He declared, Teletesia, it is finished! It is finished! See, it's just simply believing. But then Paul immediately says, but you were created for good works. See, those good works are proof of the guarantee that's been deposited in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, this coming week, we're opening our doors to this community like we do every week, but we're doing it in a greater way. We're doing it in a greater demonstration. We're inviting the community to come and say, we love you. We're not judging you based on where you are today. But we want you to know that there's a wonderful message of pardon. There's a wonderful message of forgiveness. There's a wonderful message of hope. And it's found in Christ alone. You see, if you've been pardoned, the chapter of your life is going to be not rewritten. Because you can't change your past. But the rest of your life you seek to live as the best of your life. Come on. When, the, when you've been pardoned by the grace and the mercies of Christ you're going to write new chapters going forward in your life. The second thing that Jesus came to do is He came to give His purpose. Jesus came to give His purpose and meaning for life. Immediately, when Zacchaeus encounters Christ, the Bible says, when he encounters Him, he says, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. It's the beginning of Zacchaeus' life, or like many people's lives living for themselves. First John chapter 2, John says the carnal ways or the ways are this world everyone knows. They're obvious. He just lays it out. He spells it. He says it's about seeking pleasure. It's about seeking pleasure for yourself. It's about attaining possessions for yourself. It's about finding prestige or power for yourself. It's obvious. We live in a culture driven by these things. And these things within themselves are not wrong. But these things have become the pursuit and the quest of the human life. And so therefore we have extravagance beyond the world can ever see. We have people, people seeking pleasures and things that not only bring destruction to them, but other people and future generations. We live for the moment. We live for the experience. We live for the high. We live for these kinds of things. But these things always leave us empty. See, God created you for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. And when you encounter Him, radical change takes place in your life. But in order for this to take place, you have to have a set of values. And only you can determine that. Only you can make that decision for your life. For your purpose flows out of the things that you've decided that you're going to do and things that you're not going to do. The Bible tells us that the values of this world and our, the values of this world are well known and they've never changed. Pleasure, possessions, popularity, power, and prestige. They've never changed. It's been that way from the beginning of time. It's always been that way. But God has a different set of values. God has a whole different way of living. God has a whole different way of, of thinking about life. Thinking about life is a life of purpose and meaning. So you have a choice today. You can live a life for yourself. Many people do. People that are living life for themselves are just surviving. i got to tell you, if you're just surviving today, you haven't entered into the abundant life. If you're just hanging on, if you're just hanging on in your life, if you're just surviving today, you're living a life based on yourself. What you can do, what you can make happen, what maybe someone else can do for you. There's another thing that people live their life for. It's a life of success. Life of success. I want to be successful. I want a church that's growing. I want a church that has five services, not just three services. I want a church that has a bigger facility. And those are all great things. But if success becomes the measure of my life, it never ends. Where does it stop? 
I have friends who pastor churches of 100 people. And I have churches, I have friends who pastor churches of, of 10,000 people. And I've got to tell you, it never stops. You work in businesses and you work in places of employment. And how much is enough money? How much money does your business want to make in 2013? Just a little more. Just a little more. We always just want a little more. What's success? When you're on the treadmill of success, you can never reach the maximum. And I believe in goals. And I believe in achieving. And I believe in all those things. And I believe in thinking right. I believe that. But at the chief end of man, the chief end of man is to find success. You will get to the end of your life. And you will say like Solomon, vanity, all is vanity. There's a third option today. It's a life of significance. It's choosing to live a life of significance. And I'm, I'm not there completely yet. I'm not completely there. I'm not where I want to be, but at times I get a glimmer. At times I get a glimpse. At times I meet someone or hear about someone that said, yes, yes, I'm going to live my life for significance. There's an 18, she's actually 22 or 23 years of age now. Her name is Katie Davis, and, and she wrote a book last year. My wife has been reading it this week, and she's been spoon-feeding me and telling me about this book. It's called Kisses and Katie. She's 22 years of age. At the age of 17, she was a high school student in Brentwood, Tennessee. She came from a Catholic family, and, and she got saved in a youth group that really believed, really believed she could have a relationship with Christ. Kind of like wide open church. Her parents didn't understand what had happened. Her commitment became radical. She All of a sudden, she felt this call to do something significant with her life. And so at the age of 17, she spent two weeks in Uganda. You have a picture of her with all of her kids. Can you put that one up? At the age of eight, at the age of 17, she went to Uganda and she spent two weeks there and, and she was radically changed. She knew that she could never be the same. And, and, and so when she finished high school, I mean, she was homecoming queen. She was voted most popular, to, you know, the most likely to see, succeed. She had all these things going for, for her. At the age of 18, she said, I just, I, I got to go back. I got to go back. And she was there for six months and her parents begged her and they said, you've got to come home. This is just in 2008. You've got to come home. You've got to go to school. And so she tried to obey her parents. She wanted to honor them. She came back for four months and she said, I can't do that. We're seeing the first six months of 2008 that she was there. She adopted these. She adopted these 14 girls. She started a ministry. Uh, uh, the ministry is called the Amazema ministry. It just means truth. And she doesn't even know. She said she was standing in line. She had to give it a, a name there in Uganda. And this word just popped out into her head. And that's how she came with, up with this name. She adopted these 14 girls. And, 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 but not only did she adopt these 14 girls, she started to see that there was a need in Uganda where the average person makes a dollar a day. The average person makes a dollar a day. 51% of the people live in poverty that we can't even imagine. There's a group of us that will be going to Cuba in just a couple of weeks, and we're going to see that kind of poverty. I was in Haiti just last year, and I saw that kind of poverty firsthand. It's mind-boggling. It blows your mind. I'm not saying that we're all going to do what this girl did, but over the next coming months, not only did she adopt these 14 girls, but she started feeding them. Within a short period of time, she was feeding over 400 of these children. And then she found herself having to give education to them. And she started a school. And within one year, the school was educating 128 children. And then she saw another need. And there was a group of women who were selling their bodies as prostitutes and making alcohol because they had no other ways to provide for their family. And so she went into this little area and she says it like this. She says, listen, 
I am nobody. People say, you're wonderful, you're awesome. She goes, you've got to be kidding me. She goes, if you knew how many times I think there's got to be an easier way. She goes, if you knew how many times I just, I really, I kind of, I'd like to be getting my hair done right now, taking care of these 14 snotty-nosed kids and spilling spaghetti sauce. She said, but there's something greater that drives my life. There's something greater that drives my life. She went into this little community of women who were prostitutes and making booze for their provision, for their families. And, and she said the Holy Spirit just gave her an idea to start a little business. And she started taking scraps of paper and taught them how to make these kind of like jewelry. And, and she, through her network of friends back in the States, they started selling them. And she gave that provision. She gave 50% of it to the, to the women. And then she, she put another 50% in each one's name in a bank account so they could start to save some money to have a different future. Today, over 1,600 children every day. Four years later. Four years, God. Not even a lifetime. She's done more in her lifetime just about than I've done in my whole life. She's 22 years of age. But I want you to hear from her side of the story. Can you watch this video? I'm Katie Davis, I'm 21 years old and I live here in Uganda. I run Amazima Ministries and my full-time occupation is that I'm a mom to 14 little girls. The orphan clings to your hand Singing the song of how he was found We started just doing a feeding program for this school where all the kids can come up and just be in the hands and feet of Jesus on a daily basis. knowing what it really looks like. It's where I just am thinking, thank you, God, for the privilege of being here and of serving you because God could do it all by himself. He could take care of these kids. And he, the, 
that he would choose to use little old me to take care of him. Just I feel very blessed to have what most people would consider an abnormal life because I don't think there's anything better. Jesus, and he gave her a sense of purpose. He gave her purpose and meaning for her life. But it happened because God's Spirit was in her. So the third reason that Jesus came was to give us his Holy Spirit. Jesus came to fill us with his Spirit. He came to give us the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes and lives in you. And He quickens. He enables you to do things that you can never do on your own. If you were my friend when I was 20 or 21 years of age, you would never believe that I would be doing what I'm doing today. It's not me. It's just not me. If you would have known me, I'm telling you, I remember when I first went to school and several years back, I went back and talked to my friends from high school. They couldn't believe it was the same guy. Now because of Facebook, people have reconnected and people are still scratching their head. How did that happen? How did this rascal and this rebel and this man far from God, a young person living for himself, come to this place? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It's the Holy Spirit that lives in me. And He changes the human heart. Ezekiel says that I will give you my spirit and I will give you a new heart. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in us. Romans 8 says He energizes us. Jesus said that He must go away so that He can send His Holy Spirit so that we can go and do what the Father has called us to do. The Holy Spirit. We're a church that believes in the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're a church that believes that God gives gifts, not just sign gifts, not just gifts of tongues, and we believe in that. I tell people I speak in tongues more than you all. I speak in tongues continually. But it's not the only gift. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts of wisdom and knowledge and charity and love and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts of service and leadership and generosity. The Holy Spirit fills us with gifts and abilities to do things that we could never do on our own. If you feel like God's asking you to do that, you think, you know what, God, that's impossible. There's no way, God, I could ever do that. It's probably the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Because see, if you can do it and you can pull it off and it's within your power, guess what? God is very limited in that kind of activity. But when you abandon yourself to the Holy Spirit, and let me tell you, I'm still amazed when I think about what this young lady has done in four years. It's amazing to me. But she surrendered to the Holy Spirit. She says, I pray every night. I cry out to God. I, I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know if I can do this anymore, Lord. I need you, God. I need you to give me wisdom. I need your Holy Spirit to give me strength and grace. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. 
This young lady didn't do it on her own. She's had lots of partners. And that's the fourth thing that Christ has called us. The fourth thing that Jesus really came to do. Jesus came to change us personally, but Jesus then came to empower us to work, to partner with others, to bring transformation and change to our world. Jesus gave us His Holy Spirit's power so that we could partner with others. Every time you see the disciples mentioned, you never see them by themselves. When you see them by themselves, it's generally not in a good state. It's not in a good place. He sends them out. He never sends them out by themselves. It's always by two. This concept in America today that I can find God, I, I can, you know, I serve God better out in the wilderness with the trees. I serve God better by myself over here in my home watching television. You know what I got to say that I, I got a, one great big word. It's called raspberry. You got to be kidding me. That's the silliest thing nowhere in the Bible. It's not good for man to be alone. You're not created to do this on your own. No, we're called to be partners. We're called to come alongside this church. Although my, I had the vision that God had given to me to leave my home and to move to this community. It wasn't myself. There were others from the very beginning. Last week, uh, uh, one of the couples that came with us, they Facebooked me. They saw that we were doing Operation Blessing and they spent two years, they poured out their life, they spent their money, they spent so much money trying to help us start the church that they had to go back to Seattle and go to work. They said, Eugene, we want to partner with you for Operation Blessing. We're going to give you a large, we're going to give you $1,000. Wow. Whoa, just out of the blue. I mean, someone who believed in the mission of Christ, someone knew the call of God upon our life and said, hey, we're still with you. We still believe in you. We still believe in the mission for which City Church was started within the beginning to bring God's love to the city. Like, yes, go God. Go God. This church is run by people on Wednesday nights who partner with the vision of God to bring His love to boys and girls. We have Royal Rangers and we have Impact Girls. And I see these workers every week faithfully raising and training and teaching. Sunday morning I see the leaders and the workers with the middle school schoolers and the children's ministries and the nurseries and the worship ministries and all the things that take place. And on Thursday night there's a group of people here led by Jackie and her team who have a heart to help people with hurts and habits and hang-ups. And, and you know what they're doing? They're partnering in the ministry to advance the purpose and the cause of Christ. And then last night there was a group of people that prayed. Because see, none of this happens without the Holy Spirit's power. And we prayed last night for this city. We prayed for this church. We prayed for this nation. We asked God to do what only He could do. We prayed. It takes partners. And that's what today is about. Today is about partnership. Today is about partnership. Partnering with what God is doing in this city and in this community and this world. Operation Blessing started about 10 years ago in Ultima Springs at City Church. I don't know how it started. I just know that one day I knew that I had to do something. I had to do something. We were going into communities and we were picking up children on the buses every single week. We had... We had started this bus ministry. It was one of the key elements of growth in our church at that season of time. It was amazing. And families started to come. And we ran the buses on Sunday. My wife and I with a team of people would go out and knock on doors on Saturday. We did it for over five years straight. Never missed a Saturday. Every single Saturday. I remember one New Year's Day on Saturday, my wife put a party hat that somebody had left in the neighborhood because, you know, they just left. I don't know what else they left there, but they left a party hat and she put it on and we were knocking on doors because New Year's Day fell on a Saturday. 
And we were out inviting people to church. One Thanksgiving in Altamont, I said, we've got to do something. So God gave us this vision to start Operation Blessing. And it started off really small, maybe 30 bags. It was an incredible thing. Our church, we just felt the generosity and love of God. And over the years, God changed this church. And I've always wondered why he brought us to Sanford. I mean, I didn't know Sanford was here. And I found myself in Sanford. And nine out of 11 designated pockets of poverty are in the Sanford community in Seminole County. Uh, over the last year, there have been two national television reports on 60 Minutes on the city of Sanford and the homeless situation in our community. Two of them, two national. I mean, it's, it's like the epicenter. We had the Trayvon Martin thing, and it isn't over in June. It's going to explode again. And I'm just saying, man, just come and visit our church. Just come see a church where red, yellow, black, and white sit together and worship God. And we love Jesus, and we serve this community, and we serve this generation. Look at a youth ministry that's reached hundreds and hundreds of kids at Seminole. You come in on a Wednesday night and their parents don't even come and they're just worshiping God. And you know, you don't see that in the news. You don't see that. If there's any hope for this community, it's when believers realize we have a greater call and a greater purpose. And that is to do what Jesus did. Jesus went around doing good by the power of the Holy Spirit and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And I'm asking you to be a partner with me today. An Operation Blessing. We have a bag. We have this box up here. It looks like a, a food box. We're not going to present the boxes like this. They'll actually be in boxes or bags next week. And in the past, we've always taken this offering on Operation Blessing Day, but we don't have the money today to, to, to like front for the food. We need the money now to be able to do this outreach into this community. We need the food today. Vicki Elabusi, over the last six years or seven years, here in the Sanford community and her team. They put the boxes together on Saturday. Her school that she works at over in Haythorne Elementary, they partnered with us. See, it's about partnership. We can't do this thing on our own. The children of Heathrow Elementary, they, they bring canned goods. And over the last, I don't know, four, five, six years, every year, our team has gone over on a Friday. And we have, I mean, mounds and mounds of canned food that the school has donated to this outreach, to this Operation Blessing. And we go over and pick it up and we're so grateful for that. But today I'm asking those of you who can do something to do something. Some have already done this, and I know some have already given online, and there's been some monies that have come in. But today maybe you haven't had an opportunity to give. You have a little connection card and on the back here. I just want you to kind of read through that on your own. You know, we're going to be sorting food. Next Saturday we're going to be distributing flyers in the community and inviting people to come. And we're going to be bagging food on Saturday. We're going to be sorting food on Friday. We're going to have food registration. And then I need you to do something to give. I need you to do something to give. Uh, a box costs 20 or $25 to put together. Some have already bought their boxes and their bags, and we're grateful for that. But we need almost 300. Last year, we distributed over 270 food boxes, food bags in this community. Our shoes are going to come, and, and uh, you have this connection card. I want you to take this moment. We haven't received today's tithe. I, I have my envelope here for this campus. I have my tithe that I'm giving today because we still have to keep the lights going. We still have to pay the bills. And this is an offering. This is above your tithe. This is above what you already belongs to God. You're saying, God, I've been blessed. I've been, the whole concept of thanksgiving revolves around this concept of being grateful to, for the goodness of God and sharing our bounty with others. And so this morning I'm going to challenge you. 
going to challenge you. I just want you to pray. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. And, and maybe you've already given. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Like I said, thank you. But maybe you haven't hop- had an opportunity to give. Maybe you give and you really felt the Holy Spirit nudging you. Hey, I should have probably given a little more. Hey, that's okay. You can give a little more. You can give. If you're able to do that today, to be a blessing to others. The Lord dropped two verses of Scripture in my heart regarding this today. And I want you to hear these verses. I want you to hear these verses. In Deuteronomy 15.10, the Bible says, And the Lord God spoke to His children, saying, Give generously to the needy. Give generously to the poor. Not grudgingly. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Wow. Give generously to those in need. Proverbs 22, the Bible says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. What did Jesus ask you to do today? Right now, the need right at hand. You know, Katie, I thank God for Katie, what she's doing in Uganda, but the need in our community, in our church, right right now, right at hand, is meeting the needs of people in this community that need a help. They need the grace of God and the love of God demonstrated to them. Not a handout, but we're looking for a hand up. We're looking to see them be encountered with the presence of God and His Spirit and life transformation and change come. We're looking to proclaim and teach the kingdom of heaven that there's another way to live. We're believing for miracles of healing and deliverance from addictions that have maybe kept them in their bondage and their poverty and their brokenness. We're looking to help lift up people to Jesus. To lift them up to our Savior. As you're praying today, getting your checkbooks ready, you get your envelopes, there's a little yellow envelope in front of you today. If you weren't prepared to give, you can give online at our website. It's really easy to do that. But I want to pray blessing over you today as you give of your tithe and your offerings. Father, I thank you for your grace today that's upon this church. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to do good. Thank you that we can partner together to advance the cause of Christ and your generation. God, I bless your people in your wonderful and your awesome name. Amen. Thank you for giving. You have brought me to such freedom. I have found you, you're the healer who makes all things new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not going back, moving ahead, here to declare to you, my past is over, and you, things I made new, spread out my life to Christ. Can we all stand and declare this? Come on, let's all stand and declare this. Oh.